0: we go. It's Monday night. It's time for Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. Uh, Mike Balsamo got a fun show on tap for you tonight. And, you know, normally I'll say Ira's not in studio, but there's a good reason for that. Ira's not in studio tonight, and there's a great reason for that. Ira, what have you been up to?
1: I think this is one of the greatest weeks I've ever had going to sporting events. I saw LeBron. I saw two Laker games. One of the Laker games was LeBron. Breaking the NBA all-time scoring record that's been held for, by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for 19 years, uh, it was at that game on Tuesday night. That iconic NBA moment, the, the, the number one record at all of the NBA. And then I saw one of the best Super Bowls of all time. And then between us, I saw Kyrie's first game as a Clipper game. So I saw three NBA games. But still, this was an awesome week. And just, I can't imagine. I mean, I remember when I walked that stadium yesterday around this time. I actually it's before the, the the timing's messed up. Yeah, around this time. I was so excited. I've been to my A Super Bowl and I could not, believe. I was just pumped. I mean, you just go to Super Bowl, everything is different. This is not like any other game with Joe Thysen on last week, and I just knew I've been to all these games, the 20-some NFL games this year, and I just knew this was completely different. This is it. This was Super Bowl final game, and the excitement and emotion, everything about it, it's, it was tremendous to be
0: there. And it was a heck of a game. We'll talk uh, more about that coming up. We're also going to talk about all the parties and fun stuff that Ira did around the stadium. You can follow along on Ira's adventures all, all across social media at Ira on social- sports, Ira, we're also going to talk to Ivan Barron around 7.50. Tell us about Ivan. He's a big important person here in Palm Beach County.
1: Yeah. Well, the Delray Tennis Tournament is down here in South Florida, and it is, they've had a number of years. This year, all, luckily, you know, someone who's like me is a big fan of tennis, All these great young Americans are playing in it. Taylor Fitz, Pryp is in there, uh, Tommy Paul, and these are just good young Americans. used to be just, oh, they're good young Americans. Now these good young Americans are the top players, going to be that next level of the top players in the world. So it's a tremendous tournament to go and watch, and I'm glad Ivan could come on, and hopefully we'll get the winner on next week to talk about uh, the tournament. So uh, I'm real excited about that. I'll catch the tournament this weekend.
0: Yeah, we had uh, Hubert Herkatz on before, uh, former winner of the Delray Tennis Open. Ivan said he'll do his best to get us the winner uh, on next week, so we're excited about that. So, Ira, you do something that a lot of people might think is crazy. You'll go to big events like this with no ticket, and you just try to figure it out when you get there. That was exactly the case this time. And you said, you know, even if I don't get to go, there's so much festivities that it'll be worth it anyway. But you did get a ticket. Tell us about how this went down and what a great seat it was.
1: Yeah, I got so lucky. I, got, I mean, I was ready to give up hope. And I was lucky, though, a couple things. With the games out here in Phoenix, there's less people that say they wake up the next morning. Like next year in Las Vegas, it took be through the roof. But what happened is the tickets never shot up. Actually, the ticket prices dropped. As the week went on, now they just leveled out at a certain level, but there wasn't like in that Philadelphia when I was there two weeks ago where they just shut up because it's not like people wake up, like in LA last year, people wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I want to go to Super Bowl. And they go, you know, that type of thing. Here, they can't do that. They're here. It's it, Arizona's a smaller town, Phoenix is a smaller area, so it's hard to get flights in here. So the people, it was what it was. And I noticed during the day, in the morning, there were a lot of tickets out there, but I kept asking my friends, like, you know, can you help? Who was this or that because it was still online with the, fee, the fees. Online, it was thirty percent today. So there was a lot of issues, you know, in terms of the cost. And also, wanted a good seat. You know, I just wanted to sit a good seat. And I'll tell you, my friend Terrell, I got to give him credit. He's just a shout out to him. He, I would, he says, look, I have a buddy who has two tickets. I found another person to buy one. He goes, and it's in the club. It's ten yard line. You know, how much I love that club seat in the in, in the State Farm Stadium seat. It's, it's a, it's amazing. Great view. The club is great. You can see all the celebrities walking through the club, and it just, it was like, oh my god, I couldn't believe it. And I paid. To just a little bit more than what I would have had to pay to get in for the Philadelphia game two weeks ago. So, this was like, I mean, it was a great deal. And uh, it was way under, it was like a two thirds of face or almost like a half of what face value was. So, I got super lucky. And uh, I mean, my friends I was with, they ran out to like all the parties outside the stadium, but that's not me. I, there's a million things to do outside. I went into the stadium and there was the Eagles pregame there, those cheerleaders there, they're going crazy. And you just walk in. Remember, you don't just walk, the stadium entrance is way outside. You have to go through gates and gates and then you go into the, the area the stadium is and then i just couldn't wait to go up to my seat and i, was, I think i was the first one in the stadium so i just love being up there and, and just watching the warm-ups and the was out there a billion hours like three hours away gates up running around throwing the ball i could tell he was healthy and uh and uh, but that's why the one thing is hurts didn't come out at all for individual warm-ups didn't throw and then he came out with his team and threw maybe 12 passes and i go to more I get there earlier than almost any person. I've never seen a player in my entire life not throw the ball at all before the game, like Hurts did. So I was texting you and my other people. I said, something I, with a shoulder. He's not even practicing throwing. I saw him throw 12 balls, and, and they weren't even that deep. Uh, but he did. He looked great. He made me eat my words. My friends were yelling at me <laughs> during the game. But Mahomes clearly was, you know, until he hurt himself at the end of the, the half, he was clearly healthy uh, running around. And that showed how, you know, they, the Chiefs were out there, the whole team out there, having a good time, very loose and relaxed for the game.
0: No, and, and for sure, they both put on a, a fantastic show. It, it was, what, like you said, one of the best Super Bowls in recent history. We'll talk all about it. But we got to toot our own horn a little bit, right, Ira? I mean, I think... Anybody I talked to in the two weeks leading up to this saying Philly's going to crush the Chiefs. And me and you came on the air last week and both said we like the Chiefs in this game and we liked the over and we were right.
1: Well, I was, we were both totally right on this. And that's why because I thought the, the Eagles' defense was a fraud. And they really had it. And this comes down to the point where last year, uh, the fifth week of the season, the Chiefs won 42-30. to 30. And all my Eagles fans, I brought that up to Eagles fans. They're like, well, that was last year. There's a different team, on and on. But this eagle 's defense they beat Daniel Jones three out of four games they, they, they you know they 're playing Washington, they are playing teams that they beat Tennessee when Tennessee was bad. they beat Jacksonville when Jackson early this season when Jackson was bad. They were like the fighter like that didn 't really have a good fight, whereas the Chiefs we talk about this all the time, the Chiefs could play, play in the. Houston Texans, and they're going to be in a tight game. They're going to play whatever. And then they have to go beat teams like Cincinnati to get there in Jacksonville, and they play it at that level. So I, I thought the Chiefs were, were – but I just was not sold on the Eagles defense at all. And clearly they were not ready for primetime because they were not playing Daniel Jones there in that second half No, <laughs> when, when, the, when the Chiefs scored three out of four times with touchdowns.
0: The only um, playoff quarterback that they beat since week four was Daniel Jones. That just goes to show the competition or that they lost. So, yeah, it wasn't surprising to me. There was also a lot of metrics that started to come out, Ira. And, you know, their, their first overall in defense, their third against the pass, that was against mostly bottom 10 in the league teams. When they played top 10 in the in the league, their defense dropped to 15th, 17th, middle of the pack, and that was exactly what they were going to get. This was no no scrub NFC um, offense they were going to perform against. It's Patrick Mahomes, the greatest quarterback on the planet.
1: And I think one of the key points in this game also, besides Mahomes was 21 for 27, he only threw one hundred and eighty-two yards, but he had 44 yards rushing, but only one incompletion in the second half. But I think one of the big key things, and, of course, was no sacks. I mean, that was this is the, the Eagles with us had the third highest sack total. Now it's inflated because of the 17-game season in the history of the NFL. Um, but, of course, it's easy to get pile-up sacks when you're going against inferior offensive lines and, 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 and quarterbacks that can't get our mobile like Mahomes. But that was key. But the Chiefs against the Eagles last year ran for 200 yards. This game, they ran for 158 yards. <laughs> they had 26 carries for 158 yards. They threw 27, and they were balanced. They threw 27 times and ran 26 times. And I think that in Pacheco, uh, you talk about a seventh-round draft pick and Brock Pur- Purdy, uh, Pacheco, 15 carries, 75 yards, and a touchdown, ran the ball great. And this is exactly what they did last year. They, I mean, no you no know, one said they're never going to run the ball against the Eagles. Never in a million years ago run the ball. They did. They ran the ball against the Eagles, and uh, that was one of the key things of the entire game. And then, of course, you got Kelsey six catches, 81 yards. I mean, they're like, the Eagles are going to stop Kelsey. No, I don't. they're not going to play stupid like the other teams. Well, they did play stupid. You know, Kelsey finds a way to get open and Moans finds him. And you know what a big fan of Juju Smith-Schuster. I thought he was tremendous. I think you know, anyone who wants to play as the second wide receiver to Antonio Brown for a couple of years <laughs> <laughs> to serve some sort of a battle pay or whatever, you know, and, and all the abuse that he took from Antonio Brown and those things that I just think did work out. I would love to have him in the Steelers, a great guy, and to have a game like he did make all those big plays was key. And, you know, Justin Watson, who's been on our show, and I'd love to get back again, uh, who was on our show when he played for Tampa, that he's back. He had two
0: catches. Two uh, big catches. The game for
1: Kansas City and, And that's like Justin is probably going to say, look, you put me on Tampa, we win the Super Bowl,
0: you put me on Kansas City, we win the Super Bowl. Uh, It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel am Mike Balsamo. Ira is all over social media, at Ira on Sports. Any other takeaway statistically from this game? Uh, Mike Lombardi from the Lombardi line, which is a very popular national Las Vegas gambling show, he said he would have given the MVP to Jalen Hurts. And, hey, he was fantastic in the first half. Not great in the second half, but he was great. But you can't not give this to Mahomes, right?
1: No. I mean, first of all, he was two or three or four yards and a touchdown. Played great. But the... I, I was shocked by the fact that Philadelphia couldn't run the ball. Um, they had 115 total yards, Gainwell 21 yards, Sanders 16. If I said Gainwell had 21 yards and Sanders 16, they, they passed more than they threw when they didn't really need to. They couldn't control it. That was, I mean, Casey averaged 6.4 yards a carry, Philly 3.1 yards a carry. But, of course, there's two key plays in the game. The Hurts fumble. I mean, you cannot – just say, oh, there were just as we talked about TCU, Michigan. Michigan turned the ball over; they had two pick sixes. It's almost impossible in a game with two pick sixes. It was almost exactly what happened in this game. Jalen Hurts that fumble that he had in the first half, and the picked the scoop and score by Bolton. That was that was crucial. You cannot turn the ball over when you have a team like Mahomes. It's not going to turn the ball over. And the punt return, allowing a 65-yard punt return, the longest in the history of the Super Bowl. Um, those two plays were just killer plays, and. Uh, that was like, those were key. So it's like they had to, the Eagles had to overcome a lot. And I really think they went in that second half. We're going to break down this game. But they went in that game with a ten-point lead. I was like, oh, you know, it's a ten-point lead, twenty-four fourteen, all that stuff. But it should have been twenty-eight-seven. It should have been a twenty-one-point lead. And I think if they go into staff time with a twenty-one-point lead, they can hang on. They can hang on on that situation. But only having a ten-point lead wasn't, I think, good enough for them. I mean, it's just you know, they out outgained the yardage is four seventeen to three forty. They had twenty more plays than KC did, seventy-two to fifty-three. But it's so weird. Like I've never seen third-down efficiencies like this. Kansas City only had eight third downs. There were four eight on third down that was amazing but it was going to be a shootout and, and 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 philadelphia couldn't keep up i mean they just it was like it's like two runners some guy catches one person girl, one girl one dollar guy catches somebody at the you know near in the middle of the race and the other one can't couldn't keep up they just couldn't they couldn't keep up at the end um and that touchdown was key that hurts did that last drive but it wasn't good enough
0: one of the big narratives that you i know you actually Wisely went back and watched the um, game with with the announcers. You're there. So you're not going to get that one of the things that keep being kept being parroted on social media from the announcers from just you know everyone I'm talking to is the Eagles' time of possession, especially in the first half, obviously, and it's a little bit of a skewed stat. I read they had a defensive touchdown. Like uh, if you're getting points with zero time of possession, yeah, th- things like that are going to happen. It's going to be a skewed uh, outlook. It wasn't like they completely beat the brakes off the uh, off the Chiefs in the first half, as maybe that would have dictated.
1: Right. I mean, that was one. Of, the, of course. Of course. And then I think the other, other narrative is the holding call. Um, why call the hole? I mean, again, we're talking about a call at the end of the game. Uh, you know, everybody doesn't want the refs. I mean, and we saw, that, I was at the Rams Saints game in the two years ago when they never called a pass interference. And, and, and that cost the Saints the game uh, and let the Rams go to the Super Bowl. I just think that, it, it, look, it was, I, I thought it was a hold on Juju. We were going to go through the game, but the, the Chiefs had run those plays. And this is where the, another takeaway I have of the game Andy Reid, his play calling, he had to get the ball within the goal line. Um, you know, twice uh, with the five-yard line and run plays. They had one to Tony and one to Moore. And I I watched it on my – you know, I took the video of it. It's on I Run Sports. I had to watch it a bunch of times. I could not believe how open Moore was. I'm like, what is the defense doing? I mean, they're just letting the wide receiver run one way and run back. That was amazing. He it would was, it was totally outscheme Nick Sirianni um, completely. I mean, he just totally. I mean, it was it said the whole narrative going in with Sirianni was fired by Reed. He's going to show him. You don't fire me. But clearly, um, Sirianni that that was ridiculous in terms of how that defense was set up for that. But on that play, Juju ran that same route where he cut in and then cut out and uh, and, and was uh, was uh, was, uh, was grabbed by the Philadelphia defensive back and and who admitted that he grabbed him and grabbed the jersey. I don't I, – I just – I feel like that was a call they had to make because it was going to be a touchdown. Mahomes had only missed one pass all second half. He completes that. And I think if it's an Eagles fan, you'd want them to score there because then it gave you time to go back and, and score. But I, I think at that point, I, I really – I'm – I don't know where I think it's 50-50. I think people said, "Oh, but it would be better to have the game." You cannot write football games; you just create a narrative that you like. I mean, it's what it is, and what is—that's what we love about sports. If you want that, then go watch a movie. Go watch it. You know, <laughs> I think we're so used to these things being movies. That's what the essence of sports is. That was a penalty. He grabbed his jersey. If he didn't grab the jersey, Juju would have scored a touchdown there, and then they would have. Then the Eagles would have had the ball. I, I just—I think it was the right call.
0: Bradbury admitted after the game it was a hold. <laughs> if the player, you know, if the player in question says, "Yeah, I messed up there. I wish they wouldn't have." seen it that's all you need to know that that's the the only answer there i know there's a lot of uh very upset philadelphia eagles fans today but but that's the reality of it i ray do have to ask you a question because this it seemed like a philly home game what what was the the ratio in in the stadium there because the chiefs were getting no applause it seemed like but everything pro eagles the place erupted
1: I was on the Philly side, and um, so I, it was sounded louder, the Philly. Philly. If I was on the KC side, it was probably to be louder there. I thought it was more, I would say, 60-40 Philly. I really thought the Philly fans were there. I mean, it was hard to tell on TV because the, the seats, because the Arizona Cardinals are red, they have red seats. So um, they, they might look like there were more Chiefs fans there. Um, the fans that go to these games, though, weren't loud. I mean, I, the section I sat in, and I could look down there, I, I – I tell you what, I have never in my row, I have never seen people who want to eat more in my life. I'm like, I'm telling you, you're paid all this money for the Super Bowl, and like, they just could not stop eating. I was going to go to the concession stand and just buy food and bring it to everyone. Like, can I just buy something? Because I, 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 was on the end. My row, you know, seat was on was the one in from the aisle, and I'd never seen more people go through. I just could not believe people could eat that much food in that one time. So it was just, it was insane. And then Tony Dungy sat a couple rows in front of me, and then there was this group sitting next to Dungy. They were standing the whole time, and no one else was. standing. You know, third down, just stand up. But and then people complain, and they would tell these people to stand up. But I thought that was so rude because. I couldn't believe how many kids were at the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, this is an expensive ticket. You take your kid I don't, I don't think this is like a kid event. And there were tons of kids. In my section, there might have been, I don't know, 20 kids under the age of, of like 12 or there. It was just amazing how many kids were, were at the game. And, I, and like the one kid was on his video game. You know, he was playing, like I'm watching it. I was watching this game on TV and I was seeing, you know, he's in front of me. I'm like, he's watching, he's playing a video game of the game instead of watching the game, <laughs> which is insane. But we'll go from there.
0: Hey, hey Pokemon doesn't rest are These kids got, <laughs> Got to get their game time in. But
1: he was playing a video game of the Chiefs. I thought it was the real game, and I'm oh. looking at him like, "Is that the game that is?" He was actually playing a video game with the Chiefs and Eagles playing his video game. And I'm like, "Just look up and watch the game. Don't play a video game. It's playing right in front of your
0: eyes." Uh, this is Ira on Sports, the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. As Ira said, those socials at Ira on Sports. Ivan Barron of the Delray Tennis Tournament is going to join us uh, here at about 7:50. Let's get into the game, Ira, because. Uh, t- Uh, Philly came out fast and furious and I, I think that it had a lot of Chiefs fans worried.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was – Casey won the toss but deferred to Philly, and and I I was next to a Casey fan, and they're like, oh, my God, don't give the ball to Philadelphia. They're going to run down and score. And, boy, it had that – I keep going back to college because it was the Georgia-TCU game. It had that feel, like 11-play drive, 75 yards. They got a third-and-five Devontae Smith first down. Hurts ran for 11. It was super – Hurts to Goddard for 13. Hurts to Smith for 23 on a broken tackle. Uh, Scott runs – and then then the third-and-three, Gainwell ran in for touchdowns. The call was reversed. So then they put it on the one yard line and they do the that rugby run. You know the Eagles, whenever they get third and one, it's a first down all the time. It's unbelievable. They're redefining how you play football. Whether you want to keep doing that, you know, to have that rugby play, Uh, it's insane. But I mean, it was just easy, seven nothing. But I think the key. I liked what Kansas City did. The response was the four-play, 75-yard drive. And everything on that drive, you check boxes offensively. Mahomes, he threw to Kelsey for 20 yards. Okay, Kelsey's going to get involved. Mahomes scrambled for eight yards. Check that box. Mahomes is healthy. He can scramble. And Pacheco runs for 24 yards. Check that box. They can run on the Eagles. I thought that drive was key. And then Kelsey, that 18-yard touchdown, uh, was key. I mean, that, was that. that drive, to me, answered the question that, okay, Kansas City could stay into this game, and and they negated that. Uh, but then then Philadelphia goes three and out. Like in a game like this, to go three and out in a in a in a possession, it's like you're only going to get ten some possessions. It just it was like awful. Pascal had a pass interference penalty, made it first and twenty, and then Hurts just threw the ball away at third and fourteen. But, you know, we're just sort of, like, playing, like, tennis, like, you know, hold and serve, hold and serve. And Kansas City goes down there, and uh, they almost, this is the one play they almost sacked him, where Redick, it's on Redick, came in and sacked him on the third and three. But, you know, I was wondering if they would, was the ball was up on the 28-yard line, like, do they go for the field goal or not go for, it you know, it was fourth and three. But I think the field goal was the right move, but Buckner missed that. I mean, that was a terrible miss. You cannot miss a Super Bowl field goal that early in the game and leave the score 7-7. Yeah,
0: not, uh, not short ones either. This wasn't a 58 61 yard field goal that was well within any kicker's range uh just couldn't put it through did you know this i i found this stat i don't know if i sent it to you it's in super bowl history only four times has there been a touchdown on the opening possession and it hadn't happened in 15 years so when philly yeah. came right out and did it i was like uh-oh <laughs> we might be seeing a, a philadelphia uh, rampage here and that's what it was for a lot of the first half it Jalen Hurts, you know, the, that ability to just gain one yard whenever he needs it was really phenomenal. And the way they were converting third downs, I, I thought that Kansas City was in a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was like on the next possession, Philadelphia 5-play, 68-yard drive, 232 thirty two two minutes. Um, first, Frank Clark jobs offside on a third and four. I mean, the last thing you need to give Philadelphia is an offside penalty on, on a third and four. But then, this, this is when I got the text. Hertz throws it to A.J. Brown. It's right Remember, I was at that end zone that he was going to. So I was on, when they were going to that end zone, like if you think about the last, the field goal of the game, to the kicker's right, I'm sitting up there. So I was on the five-yard line. So I had an amazing view. because everything seemed to be scored in that end zone. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. I got really lucky. And, oh, when he threw that ball up to A.J. Brown, that reminded me of the Steeler game when A.J. had three touchdowns. I was sitting in, in the same situation, almost at an end zone, but at a lower level. And I was like, oh, I mean, that was a beautiful pass. Like, I was wrong. Like, I mean, maybe his arm is healthy. I, you know, he looked like he was saving it. And, and that was great. And, and that was a great pass. It made it 14 7 at the start of the second quarter. And then Kansas City, which just missed the field goal of the last possession. And then they go come and they go three and out. I mean, it was that's the one where everyone's talking about where Mahone served the Juju Smith Schuster over the middle and they didn't call the interference call. And they said, well, they didn't call it there. They should call it the end and those types of things. But that was now that was like two wasted possessions. And this is now Philadelphia gets the ball back. It's 14-7, and you're like, okay, they're going to go down and score again, and uh, they get to the first down to Zach Pascal, and the third and one on the 47. They get ready for that rugby play, and they get a false start. That false start made them go to a shotgun on third and six, and that's where, the you know, honestly, the play of the game, Jalen Hurts fumbles that ball, and Bolton picks it up for a touchdown.
0: Yeah, that was huge, and that was... Really, the momentum swing that they needed there, because like you said, only Atlanta is going to blow a lead <laughs> once you get up, you know, a, a twenty-four point lead or something like that. And this was exactly what they, you know, the Chiefs needed to bounce back and keep themselves in the game.
1: Yeah, because Philadelphia comes back twelve play, seventy five yard drives in seven minutes. So they had that terrible play, but they get the ball back and now they have another seven drive. Hertz runs for fourteen. Third and one rugby play. It's fourth and five on the forty four. Hertz runs for twenty eight yards. Fourth and twenty eight, Chiefs jumps on sides. First and four, Hertz runs the ball run in. So it's twenty-one fourteen, but really the score should have been at that point twenty-one seven or maybe twenty-four seven. You know, at that point, you know, like you're thinking, it, they really could have been way ahead of that game. To that that fumble was the thing that really kept the Chiefs in the game. Because what did the Chiefs come back to? They do five plays, nine yards. They punt the ball it was a mess of the drive. There was penalties, and Mahomes scrambles. And he gets hurt. So he's running out of time to get hurt. I thought he was done. I'm like, oh, my God, this game's a disaster. We're we're looking at San Francisco again. Chad Henney, who retired uh, after the game, was going to come in and do it. Because he's limping around. He hardly could get off the field. And then Philadelphia, that's where I think Philly should. They had like a minute 22 left. I think they should have just gone for that touchdown and scored it. Like I would have gone, but they just you know, they threw that they threw to Devontae Smith. It was the play was I don't know why they wasted so much time to review that. I thought he clearly didn't catch the ball. And then they go they go down, they got you know, in a field goal range and they kick the field goal to make it twenty four fourteen. But I really think at that point, you know, you go up another make it twenty eight you know, twenty eight fourteen, the two touchdowns, but it really should have been even more. I mean it was just to me, I thought they they a twenty four fourteen score Really felt like I do again. Seven points they should have never had. Seven they could have had two field goals they could have made. It you know they scored both times. But at least like maybe a twenty-eight a twenty-eight point lead, twenty-eight to to seven. And then at that point, you know the game's pretty much you know borderline over. Uh, but uh, Mahomes was eight for 13, 89 yards. Hertz had. Mahomes threw for 80 yards in the first half, hurt 180 yards. It was 17 first downs to 6, 270 to 128, and at the time of possession, 21 to 9. But again, you're to the, you know, the Eagles seem confident. I'm like, you know, Mahomes is down 10 points. That's, that's nothing. Like, that's literally nothing. And in this game, I'm like, they have ugh, time. People forget, in a, college, in a normal NFL halftime, it's 15 minutes. You can run. You can maybe go to the – you have a choice to go to the restroom or get a You can't do both. And this one, you know, they have the Rihanna show. That thing goes on for 30 minutes. It takes forever. It gave time for Kansas City to go look and change and do all those things. And also, time to work and work on Mahone's ankle to get his ankle better where he got it hurt and give him time to come back. So, I, I felt the Chiefs – I mean, it was the other way around. I think the Eagles have in trouble. I mean, the Eagles were the other way around at 24-14. I felt the Chiefs were still in the game, down 10, because I've seen Mahone's last five years always – you know, he, Ten points is nothing to him. Ten points at the beginning of the fourth quarter is nothing to him. Or with five minutes to go in the game is nothing to him, let alone in the beginning of the second half.
0: He thrives off being down ten with a couple of minutes to go. It's 729, Ira on Sports. True Channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. Social media anywhere at Ira on Sports. All right, Ira, now time for the most polarizing part of this entire game. The halftime show with Rihanna.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the pat, the holding call. No,
0: no, end. no. The Rihanna halftime show is the most <laughs> polarizing. So I thought it was pretty good. I and mean, we've seen Maroon 5 was terrible. The weekend was terrible. I thought Rihanna, especially for being pregnant, I thought it was a good show.
1: What I liked about the show is now, you know, it's it's. I watched it on TV and I was there. So I just watched it. This NFL Network, before we did this, I, I rewatched most. They did put the whole show on. So I got to see it on TVs, And it was very similar. Last year was a mess. What they did last year in LA was they had like an apartment house, and they had the the performers in like rooms of the house, so you could from out from the field see that. Now, on, when, you were on the, when you were in the stands and looking, when they raised her up and raised everyone else high, then everybody could see it. It was like, that was awesome, because the stage was raised. So I really liked the fact that you could see the stage. If you're a Rihanna fan, you love that. If you're not a Rihanna fan, you don't like it. I got texts both ways. Was, right after the show was over, I think 10 people texted me. I love it. 10 people said, I, te- I hate it. No one said indifferent. But, I mean, it's like, I'm not a big Rihanna fan, and her music isn't whatever. But, you know, if you like Rihanna, you liked the show, and you thought she was fantastic, and go. But I did like the fact that they did raise her up and so people could see it. And they also got to it pretty quick. Um, I missed the whole thing about, you know, we didn't bring a big about the turf. Um, that was a big topic that people had talked about because I, after she was done, then I ran up to the club area. So I didn't see that people ran on the field to try to fix the turf. But one thing I'll say about this turf that's just weird, you know, they, they put it outside and then it slides in. And I have been there for Steeler games. I've been there for three Fiesta bowls. The roof has always been closed. It was open this time. And I wonder if the open roof had something to do with it. I was surprised they kept in. The weather was perfect. And the roof being open, maybe that had something to do with the turf being so poor uh, that the roof was open for the game. But I know Kansas City have played early in the year and complained about the turf, and other teams have played, complained about it. But uh, you know, I think one of the things is that where the where the NFL marks and they paint the turf like it's all painted with stuff on it, and I think that's one thing that causes. It. Do you notice in basketball for the NCAA basketball tournament when they put all the NCAA logo stuff and people slip on those? That's what happens. I think in the same thing here in terms of you have a court. You know, you'd rather have a court with not a lot on it and just worn down, and and that that in a turf like this. I, it just, yeah, I think it was an issue in the, end. the league. This is something that I think the complaints are valid. The, the, the league should really not, you should have the best turf possible, especially if you're playing at a tome stadium.
0: No, totally agree, and it's probably one of the biggest issues the NFL's had this year. It's always officiating, but this year, a lot of talk about these artificial turfs. Ira on Sports, True these channel, Mike Balsamo here as well. Let's talk about the second half, Ira, because this was really... Uh, Kind of a Jekyll and Hyde performance here from the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know what Andy Reid said to this team, what he schemed. I don't know what they did to Patrick Mahomes' ankle. But, man, they came out firing, and Patrick Mahomes showed why he is the best quarterback on the planet.
1: Well, the second half, this was, I mean, Kansas City is, is to say they had the ball four, t- four times. Three times was a touchdown, and the fourth time was a field goal to win the game. Philadelphia had the ball three times. So, <laughs> so, so Kansas City made a smart move deferring it. Three times they had a field goal, they had a three and out, and a touchdown. So clearly, if we're playing cards, three touchdowns and a field goal beats a field goal, three and out. and um, Kansas City, I think what they did that run game. Uh, Pacheco and McKinnon, three straight runs to begin that second half. Mahomes ran 14 yards. So, again, he had that another. his scrambles were just as important as Hurts were. Uh, Seven out of the ten plays on that first drive were runs. And then on third and one, Pacheco for a touchdown to make it 24-21. What an answer. I mean, to go there, to get that ball in the second half, and to say, okay, now we're back in a game. That really was a key thing. And that's where the Eagles defense had to come out. And they just could not stop the run. So I give them you know, total, total credit for that in terms of what happened. And then you know what? The Eagles come back a 17-play, 60-yard drive, almost eight minutes. This is the classic Eagle drive where they run, run. Third and six, Hertz to Goddard for 17 yards was key. Then it was third and nine, delay of game comes out. Third and 14, another amazing catch by Goddard on fourth and one, a rugby play. And then it's first and ten on the 19, and then Hertz was sacked on incomplete, incomplete pass. And this was key. I mean, this this drive took so long that you're almost nearing now the fourth quarter. It's like we're the the teams almost had the ball like one time each the entire. Uh, third quarter, uh, the Eagles cooked their playoff that's where they called a timeout. They gave a timeout. You cannot blow a timeout and that's where they said, if that was Mike McCarthy, we'd be killing the Cowboys and killing McCarthy. How can you not get How could you waste a timeout to get a play in? That's what it is. I watched it again on TV. That's why they called a timeout because they couldn't get the play in on time and that was a timeout. If they had that at the end of the game, that would have given them an extra minute or 40. Probably they would have had a minute at the end of the game if they had that timeout. And uh, Then Bolton made the tackle, I think the key tackle because he he made tackles gain well before short of the first down forcing he goes to kick the field goal so instead of them going up by you know 10 it was 24 21 they went to get 31 21 it's now only 27 21 i think a six point lead instead of a 10 point lead going into the fourth quarter that was crucial that Bolton tackle that is the wasted timeout that's where philadelphia that that was to me that was the stop they dominated drive it was a classic philly drive and kansas city stopped them there made it 27 21 uh, at that point
0: yeah, and what you say about the timeouts is huge, and especially second-half timeouts. Even when the Chiefs lost a timeout um, due to, uh, uh, what's it called, trying to coach his challenge, challenge, the Goddard catch, I was like, that, that might come back to haunt them. This is not what you want to do. So going into the fourth quarter here, you're thinking, all right, oh, at least I was. It's Patrick Mahomes' time, and I was getting excited.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's clearly, I mean, Pacheco ran for, again, though, the running. Pacheco for 9, Pacheco for 11, Pasa Juju for 14, Pasa Juju for 12. It was almost at will. I mean, it, was, it almost looked like a fighter, you know, at the end. Like, at the end of the fight, like, you know, just coming on and outing. It's like with the Eagles defense was totally admitted. We're out of gas. And then and the Chiefs score make it 28-27. And then Philly goes three and out. This is, again, this whole second half, that started to implode for them. They go three and out. It was panic play calling. So this instead of going back to the run, doing what they do best, using their offensive line. They call a pass to Goddard. They had an incomplete pass to Spagnola. Um, and then Spagnola for Chiefs. What a call. I mean, you talk about Spagnola and these big calls that he has to do at the blitzes. He had Willie Gay blitz, forced Hurts out running sideways, and that was it. I mean, that was, it forces them to punt. And it was only their second punt of the day. And what kind of punt was that?
0: Yeah, not what they wanted here. And then, you know, a lot of people are, are, are ripping the Giants today for giving up Kadarius Toney for basically nothing. And he ends up coming up huge here on the biggest uh, biggest spotlight.
1: Unbelievable. Uh, 65 yards, the longest punt return in the history of the Super Bowl. And he started out, he broke three tackles. And when you break out three tackles, and I got to give Chiefs credit on their, on their special teams. No clips, no whatever. They stayed. And I thought there was a point it looked like we talked about rugby running. It almost looked like rugby. He had like 11 players in front of him, and he was just trying to figure out how can I get to the end? You know, somebody from the team should have just picked him and just carried him to the end. zone because he was just going down there and he got, you know, stopped right on the, uh, you know, right at that point. And that was, uh, you know, that, that was just an amazing in terms of getting right down there. Um, and I think that was like, that was, that was key to go to leave yourself, you know, third and four. Now, remember the last time that passed the to Tony for the touchdown, it was third and three. And they threw that. No one, you know, to do the. We talked about the whip play where they where Tony ran one way, ran the other, and this play the same thing on the other side. More ran in and then ran out. No one covered him. So and for a touchdown to make it thirty five twenty seven, three straight touchdown drives pretty easy, you know, the third one was easy because I had to go, like, five or six yards, but for the, you know, for the Eagles to give up a punt return in that position, you just you can't do it, and you can't expect you're going to win the game when you give it 65. You know, you could do it maybe the first half when it's the first play of the game. You cannot make a mistake like that and, you know, give yourself now down eight points, and then I've got to give Jalen Hurts credit. Nine minutes left, nine play drive, 75 yards. You know, he had a pass to Brown, which is great, but, you know, they, you feel like they were in four-down territory. Uh, the pass to Devontae Smith, was tremendous, I, you know, take it down, you know, to the one yard line when he threw 45 yards past. And then the run in for the two point conversion, you know, they score and then they get the two point conversion to make it 35 35. But you and I both know, you And know, look up there. Okay, Patrick Mahomes has the ball. There's two minutes, going, you know, like three. 3 I, four I've seen this movie game. before. He's going to go down and they're going <laughs> to win the game. Like, I, it's just, this is what he does all the time. It, this was his comfort zone. This was his easy chair, putting his feet up, relaxing. That's what Patrick Mahomes does. And that last drive was, you know, juju for Ten yards, but Kelsey's for seven yards. Pacheco runs for ten. Mahone scrambles for ten. A two-minute warning and uh, second, uh, you know, a, 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 and then they get the second eight on the Eagles, and then that they call a timeout there. But uh, uh, and then the third, then of course the third and eight pass uh, to Brad, you know, where Bradbury holds, and that gave them the chance. But I give McKinnon, you know, a ton of credit. You know, when, when they get the ball, he knew to fall down, knew to give himself up, knowing the game's over. How many running backs have we seen who would run in to score that touchdown in the Super Bowl, but smart enough to stop and say, we're not going to give them a chance, we're going to make them burn all their timeouts, uh, and then we're going to kick a field goal to win. That's just the coaching, the ability, the Chiefs play all these close games that was crucial. And Mahomes scramble was, was tremendous too in that, you know, just when he ran out that was a that was a great scramble. I watched that get on TV. I can't believe how the Chiefs were just chasing him down, you know, with the, with on one leg running. It was just it was a great drive. But we've seen him do that time and time and time, just like Brady. Just like Mahomes, that's what we saw, and that's where they kicked the field goal. Leaving the Eagles with 11 seconds to go in the game, really a no chance at all. And then I thought it was Gainwell, they kicked off the Gainwell, and he ran the ball, wasted another five seconds, at least catch the ball. And then they tried that last play of the game that Hertz does, and he threw it like 30 yards. The whole people i have been telling people there's something with his arm, and if anyone saw that last play, he threw the ball like 30 yards. He couldn't even get even close to the end zone.
0: Yeah, no, you could tell that it, it was wearing on. Like where it should have been the opposite, it should have been Mahomes breaking down at the end with the ankle. It, it was hurts, you know, towards the end. Then probably couldn't do it anymore. But regardless, a great game, Ira. I mean, we've seen some some okay Super Bowls, you know, in the past couple of years. This one was up there. I, I still, I think the best Super Bowl was your Pittsburgh Steelers uh, against the Cardinals. But this was this is up there. This is one of the best ones I've ever seen.
1: Well, I think you want to see great players. Um, make great plays, and that's what Mahomes did. And you want to see against it, uh, get a, a, a game where he was a slight underdog against you, against him. And I think it's like one of these things that we think we saw something that means something, you know, like that this is for the legacy. Now we can start saying, is Mah-, you know, is Mahomes going to pass? What does he rank in the pantheon of quarterbacks? You know, where he is. You know, we can, that's something we can talk about. You know, giving him a second Super Bowl. Because if he would have lost the Super Bowl, he would have one win and two losses Super Bowl. Then you're looking, oh, it's you know. It, but now he is now elevating himself. And I think that was great. I think Andy Reid coached a great game. I think Eric Bieni. I'll tell you what, no matter what he, how much he's involved in the play-calling, how much he's not involved in play-calling – he's got to get a job because the, the Chiefs are tremendous and I, I think that just, I just am so impressed with how well they played and I just think they're, they are they went against a really good team and they beat them and that was a good win. I think it was very credible. This was, this was definitely a very impressive win and not only this but they beat the Cincinnati Bengals the week before. So they beat the Bengals, you know two weeks before so I think this has been a great run and they got the number one seed and they played well and, and this is uh, and, and to think when and Patrick Mahomes goes in this year and Tyreek Hill is star Receivers traded. I mean, the last time they played, Tyreek was 200 yards receiving against the Eagles. He doesn't have him, and has to use Juju and and, and Tony and Marcus Dallas, Shandling, and all these other and, and, and Isaiah Pacheco at running back, who's a seventh-round pick, and Jerry McKinnon. All those players. It, it, it's just it was Mahomes and, and an offensive line that did great, but who works with. I, I just I'm impressed. I thought Kansas City Andy recouped a great game, and I think the defense that play that Bolton first of all the pick, scoop and score was key, and the play that they held the Eagles to that field goal and not give up a touchdown, It was it, that was key. And the, the defense played just well enough to win the game, whereas the, Eagles, the defense did not play well. They played terrible in that second half.
0: Right after Patrick Mahomes' first Super Bowl win, you're looking at a kid in his early 20s, and Vegas set the line, you could have bet it, that Patrick Mahomes' over-under for more Super Bowl wins was one and a half. So they were basically saying, we think he can only, like, is it one or two? How many more is he going to win? Whereas the average fan is thinking, this guy's going to win ten. And this was awesome for him, like you said, to get that second one. You don't want to be one and two. So now that now he's here, established two and one, I, I'm not going to be surprised at all if he does take the over on that. Um, Ira, one thing I got to talk about, and it doesn't resonate with you because you're usually at the game, but for us normal people that are listening and that aren't at the game, the commercials are just terrible now, Ira, and I don't know if you'll probably see them in the weeks coming, but they used to really come up with brilliant ideas, funny scripts. What they did this year was just throw every A-list celebrity in your face. Every commercial was just an A-list celebrity, wasn't funny, it was just them being there, and they basically tried to throw money at, at, at this as opposed to clever writing, and, and that was disappointing for me. And I'm sure you'll see uh, some of these in the coming weeks, as I said. But
1: they that- don't show the commercials. I, I keep telling people they don't, they don't show the commercials in the stadium at all, so we have no idea what's going on. Now, I am, I'm taking pictures and I'm doing videos and stuff like that. So, I actually, some of my friends asked me, does it get so boring with all the stoppages? And I go, no, because I'm really just sending stuff out. I'm looking at stuff. I'm looking at stats. Like, I, I don't want the game. Like, if the game goes too fast for me, I can't keep up with it. So, I like it. I like it slows down from, from that perspective. If it was freezing cold, I wouldn't like it. That I wouldn't like. But the fact is, I just loved it. You know, I was, like, looking at celebrities and looking at binoculars and looking for LeBron and all the other stuff. <laughs> and, you, know, you hear rumors that someone's in there. So, it was. I, I definitely kept myself busy during the entire entire game, but I did not see any of the commercials, but I'll see them in the coming weeks.
0: So, so Ira, we've got about uh, seven minutes until we need to get to Ivan Barron here from the uh, Delray Beach Tennis, uh, tennis uh, Tournament. Super Bowl parties, you, you said you were going out there anyway. If you didn't get a ticket, there was still so much to do, and you really took it in.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it was it was great. We'll run through, the, we went to I stayed at the Marriott at Chandler, which I'm here right now. It was awesome. And then Friday night we went out. My friend was in the tour business, like in, in the in with it in with the band, some band. So he got a tour bus guy to drive us around. Went to the Rolling Stone party with Travis Scott and all these parties. Are the same you walk in and you go in, and there's the there's, there's, there's like they're selling memorabilia there, and then there's the Super Bowl stuff there, and that was nice. Saturday. I didn't go to the Western Open, but I went downtown to the NFL Experience, which was like down at the convention center. And that was so cool because it was like, there's so much of the biggest NFL store you could imagine by anything. You'd go broke if you wanted to buy everything. I go to the Sheraton with my friends and we're sitting at the bar and that's Jim Kelly and Daryl Talley of the Buffalo Bills. Jim Kelly, former Hall, NFL Hall of Famer from the Bills sitting there. And they, rec- they start talking to me. like, hey, are you enjoying yourself? So they start the conversation with us. I talk to them. He's making fun of me. He goes, you look like Peter Schrager, the NFL Network. And I said, I think people look at like, think I look like Seinfeld. He goes, you look like Newman more than Seinfeld. He's joking around. He was funny. And then I got pictures with both of them. And then I went to the Taste of the NFL party. Oh, that is an awesome party. They have restaurants from all around everywhere. I wasn't so good about the food, but they have all these NFL players there. Paul Warfield was walking through, former great Miami Dolphin with his Hall of Fame jacket on. And I went up to him. I told him we interviewed Zonka. That was a good guitar. Talk. I talked to Doug Flutie. Then you had guys like Wesley Welker, Jared Bunch. And people, you could have a and come around and get everyone to autograph. So it was pretty cool to see that and then I met the uh, there's three people that have been to all 56 now 57 Super Bowls so I got to meet and talk to one of the guys that has been to every single Super Bowl and then after that party was over we went to this thing called the Giving Back Fund at this Dr. Pablo Pritchard's house at the Paradise Valley and J.J. Watt was there and he like, was thro- signing footballs and throwing it to people and uh, the, the music singer Kevin DeGraw performed and it was pretty neat to be at that party and then the all-time end was the Cal Maxim party which is the biggest party and it's like an airplane hangar. You go in there, this whole hangar, and there was, a, there was a DJ called Loud Luxury, which is very famous. They were there and I, and I was hanging out. We were there and I'm hanging out with these people and they were talking and we're talking this stuff and they, they ended up being like Luca Dante's best friends. Like they have I showed them pictures of Luca and they're showing me pictures of like when he was in high school. Like I played ball with Luca, he was on my high school team and stuff like that or whatever club team that they were at. So that was fun to fun to do that. And uh, so I mean it was it was really a great weekend to go and, and just go to the, all these parties and, and meet people and everyone friendly and everyone's been to super bowls and talk about it i mean i cannot believe how friendly everyone was and just to meet all these old nfl you i mean literally i just gave you half of the celebrities that i ran into and talked to at these events
0: so let's move on to uh this wasn't the only thing you did this week ira you've been busy and you very wisely weeks ago forecasted when lebron was going to break the record so you bought tickets to both games you thought it could be at tell us about the experience
1: well, I bought Tuesday and Thursday. I thought he was going to buy it on Tuesday. This ticket thing was crazy. So I paid the same amount for both days. The Tuesday ticket shot up after he was 36 points away. So it shot up to, like, triple what I paid for. But I, then it went down before the game time, like, to half what I paid for. I've never seen a ticket swing like this. But because I, then I thought, oh, my God, LeBron's not going to play there. I was, in the, I was in the corner. But, again, I got lucky in my seat. Perfect situation. Because I've been to – I'm going to run through in a minute. the Every game I've been to, I've been to LeBron's. Uh, for return from the Heat to the Cavaliers in Cleveland. I was there when he went to, when he won, lost his first title against, against Dallas, won his first title against Oklahoma City, won his first, won the, the title against San Antonio, and then I was there when he returned to Cleveland, and then they played the Knicks at that home game. I was there when they won all, all their games for the Cavaliers against the Warriors, including the Kyrie last shot game and those things. And then I was there also for his first game as a Laker, and I was in Philadelphia when he broke when he passed Kobe in the all-time record, and then Kobe, unfortunately, passed away the next day. So I could not miss this game. But um, seven minutes left, you know, and he didn't score in the, against Oklahoma City until like seven minutes in the game. I'm like, oh, he might not score at this game. He might have to go to the Thursday night game. And the fans are crazy. Whenever, it's like Aaron Judge. You know, Whenever he was out of the game, they go to the concession stands, they leave, and then they come back. Everyone stands up like that. But he went on a he went on fire at the end of the first half and scored. Oklahoma City doesn't play any defense at all. so He scored twenty points. Third quarter starts. He had two free throws, a three point, a two point shot. So he's eight away. He sits down for a little bit. But when he comes back, it was just like it seemed like he scored in like a second. He got, to, he got to lay, Westbrook threw him a layup, then he had another layup, and then he's coming back down again all within a minute, and I'm like, I took videos of those shots, and I said, I want a picture. I want a picture of a spinal shot, and I got it perfectly. I was right on his left side when he did it, and the shot reminds me of Jordan's last shot that I took in Utah from the corner, like from right above the foul, foul line. It was like a perfect view, and, and we did it. He raised his hands, and they walked around, and it was great that Kareem was there and Adam Silver, and they stopped the game for the presentation, which was pretty cool um, and then you know that that was just pretty neat his family was all there and then but Thursday was cool too so he did play Thursday my ticket was worthless the one that I bought was where I, I, I actually bought the ticket next to me for like nothing just so, so I could take a friend there and uh, that that game was completely worthless in terms of goats but he announced that he was going to do uh, they were going to do a presentation so people thought it was at halftime but It was before the game so hardly there weren't many people at the fan at the game and then he comes out they give him this award they give him the ball you know all this other thing his family was there kareem was again there james worthy did the thing so it was pretty cool and lebron gave a great speech you know his speech was more that the best gift he ever you know that ever got was his mom gave him a basketball it's like three years old
2: like what if he gave him a baseball
1: or a football he gave him a basketball if he didn't get the basketball maybe he would never been a basketball player so he and he said I, I held that basketball i wouldn't let that basketball go for you know his mom said like he would not leave the basketball he grabbed that basketball all the time everywhere he went and thankfully he you know he got a basketball because now he's you know, one the first or the second best player of all time in the all-time NBA leading scorer. So that was so awesome to be there for that game and to see that. And uh, I caught Kyrie's game on Wednesday for when he was in the middle of the trade and the Mavericks played the Clippers.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he looked pretty good in that first game. Luka didn't play, so it helped uh, kind of ease him into the role. I want to talk uh, just real quick about what happened here at the at the trade deadline because I think most people woke up on Friday morning and absolutely had their mind blown that Kevin Durant was heading to Phoenix.
1: Yeah, so I'm at that game on Thursday, and uh, actually I was at that game on it was Wednesday. It was Thursday morning, Wednesday night, so I leave the game, and I'm driving back, and that's when it came down that Durant was traded. I, I was a shocking move. I mean, it, it was like the Nets had offered Durant to the Suns for the same deal, but the, why this happened is Abija, the guy, the new owner of the Suns. It, the Super Bowl played a role in this because they wanted Robert Sarver out as the owner. So they fast forward Abijah buying the uh, the Suns for $4 billion. So they fast-forwarded, so he became an owner much earlier than he normally would, but they didn't want Sarver to be the owner of the Suns when the Super Bowl was here. So they pushed this, this Abija through, and of course he paid $4 billion, made made every, everybody's owners, the other team. If someone buys your car for a billion dollars and everyone else's cars goes up in value. So they made him, it, and then he he pulled the trigger on the deal. Four first-round picks, uh, the Bridges, Cam Johnson uh, for Durant, and now they have Durant, they have Booker, that Paul, and the favorite to win the NBA title if LeBron comes back in healthy. Uh, what a trade. I mean, an amazing trade and, and it's the whole Nets experience was we've talked about it as and, and I mean, It was a disaster, but that that was the Suns now have positioned themselves if they're healthy. Booker's missed most of the year. Uh, Durant's been hurt. Um, Paul's been injured. You know, that's the key with the playoffs is you have all these teams and then Mike Conley going to Minnesota from Utah Jazz was key and the Lakers added D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley, which should help them, but they're still three back. I mean, I'm, I'm under the opinion that you About 10 teams in the West, and all of them could rake the finals. That's why I'm excited for the Western Conference Finals. I think it's wide, wide open in terms of these teams. Uh, Denver could, you know, because the records don't matter. these, These teams don't play with the same players, so you have to look at other things. From the Eastern perspective, the Heat didn't make a move. So you're nervous about that. They'll pass, they'll become at least like the fifth seed because the Nets will fall back. But the Heat didn't make a move, and, and, and except for trading Deadman. So as a Heat fan, I'm a little nervous. You know, you thought there were some moves there to be made for them, but they didn't make anything. And we'll see in the coming weeks. Now, remember, the All Star game is this weekend, and then they take more time off, and then they only have like 22 games left, and then the playoffs start. So a weird season the nba has their all-star game so late into their season uh it just sort of messes everything up a little bit
0: let's go to ivan Barron. it's iron sports this is
1: iron sports and we're so excited to have ivan Barron on to talk about the delray tennis tournament coming up th- during this this week ivan is the director of the tournament and ivan thanks a lot for coming on iron sports
2: hey how are you doing all Ar- right
1: appreciate the uh the love
2: thank you very much
1: I love, I love Talk about love. I love your tournament. I think it's great. And I just think that, play, that what's amazing about it is that people, we were used to like behind the Honda have the drive, you park your car. It's a whole commotion to go. The Delray beach tennis tournament is one of the easiest things I've ever seen. It's like going to a high school football game. That just, <laughs> so it's, it's just such an easy tournament to go to. And, uh, and, and just talk about how, just the accessibility of the tournament and being in downtown Delray beach.
2: Oh, thank you very much. I'll tell you, it's we're very privileged, honored, fortunate. Every adjective you can think of where we have a great relationship with the city of Delray Beach. It's just an incredible town. It's a very small town. We're a block away from downtown Delray with all the restaurants and the shops. The weather in February normally is, is just spectacular. It's so nice out here. Uh, it's, just, it's just a great vibe. I mean, it really is. People love coming to the event. It's very casual. We have a ton of events on site, which I'm sure we'll speak about in a second, regarding parties and hospitality. But it's one of those where we want the casual fan, the hardcore fan, and people who have no clue about tennis to come and watch, really, these superstars serving 130 miles an hour, chill on site, have a blast, clap, cheer loudly, and when you're done, hit Atlantic Avenue and go party and relax with the cocktail.
1: <laughs> well, I go to right? the US, I went to the U.S. Open. Um, I would say every day, that every time, this last session, and it was like the tickets were super expensive. And you're going, you're going there. And people say, "Well, what players are playing at the Delray?" And what I always tell them is the best young Americans. And for years, the best young Americans maybe weren't that great, but now the best young Amer- young Americans are the best players in the world and it's just a great field and your field is tremendous and you're not sitting at the top of arthur Ashe stadium a million miles away with binoculars and telescopes you're sitting in a stadium that is like if you went to the u.s open you'd be paying tens of thousands of dollars to sit sit in there to watch the players that close
2: yes you know, i appreciate you seeing that the tickets are extremely affordable and tickets start at forty dollars plus it's one of those, we really want to make it a fan-friendly event. We want people to love tennis, enjoy tennis, and the newcomers to really just get a flavor of it. So maybe they go to a tennis club in the area and hit some balls around, do some clinics. Um, it's a social sport, so it's one of those where you know mothers, fathers, kids, adults, young, every gender, they can play throughout their whole lives. And then our event itself, the seats, they're really awesome. I mean, it really is. We sell it as an intimate event. There's no bad seat. We'll have close to 60,000 spectators coming. And we have every plethora kind of seat that you want where you have that on-court seats, which are limited to about 30. We always sell out. And you're literally six, seven steps away from the players. It's just, it's, it's so cool. And I, I used to play on tour. So, you know, I live and breathe tennis since I was eight. And then you have your box seats, reserve seats. You have the Verenas, which are uh, the food and the drinks and the beverages and all. And we really have kind of a, a special ticket for – I mean, honestly, anybody, and they're very affordable. Do you
1: still put the – are you still going to have a plan to have the cars on the court that someone can actually buy a ticket and in a car
2: and watch the tennis right on the court? Great question. So we love our sponsors. So I'm going to go ahead and do the, uh, the BMW plug where BMW is awesome. It's one of those we have all the transportation cars covered by BMW, and on court we're one of the only events in the whole world that has the BMW court uh, car literally on the court. <laughs> we call that the best of the best seats in the house, and we don't sell that. We literally, it's a promotional giveaway. Uh, it is, I mean, you can't buy it. You can't get it. No one has it, really. So it's one of those where it's just a very cool thing where people are in the car, and, I mean, you literally are a step away from the players when that serves comes in, mock, you know, 130, 140, and hits the dash or it hits the hood. It's, uh, and last year we actually had a proposal at the car last year for the first time ever, which is really neat.
1: <laughs> That's tremendous. Yeah. Talk, talk about you know I just mentioned earlier about the players, but talk about the great American players,
2: the great world players you have coming to this tournament this year. Sure. So our field's just incredible. It really is. The ticket sales are way ahead from last year. Uh, right now, leading the field is Taylor Fritz, the hot American who was on Netflix Breakpoint documentary series, uh, won Indian Wells last year, top ten in the world. So he's our number one seed. And then Tommy Paul. Just got to the semis of the Australian Open. He lives in Boca. He's top twenty in the world right now. Great looking guy, super cool guy. Won our event actually our national junior championships a number of years ago. So we we know him. He's just a good guy, class act. And then uh, Raleigh Opelka, we're hoping to play. He's been a little ticked up, injured the last uh, year or so. Uh, he's won our event uh, before. John Isner, top former top ten player. I played at Georgia. Isner is much younger than I am, but he's a Bulldog as well. So he's coming back to play. And then we have Brooksby and McKenzie, who just beat Nadal in Australia. And what's super neat is we have Ben Shelton, the young player from who just won the NCAA championships last year, and he just got to the quarterfinals of the Aussie, the Australian Open. So he's playing our event. He's playing in our pro in this weekend. I'm friends with his father, who's coaches at University of Florida. Who is is one of the best coaches, if not the best in college tennis? We just have a lot of Americans, and they're all doing great right now. So the it's just, the atmosphere is awesome. Yeah, that's what's so great about American tennis. You know, it's been like.
1: It seems like forever, you know, since Agassi and Sampras, like, who was the next great Americans? who was the next great run? It's like, you're almost ready, rather, you know, ready to give up hope, you know, and Djokovic, the doll and Federer just, you know, ruled the landscape for the last two decades, and I just love this young set of Americans that are coming up, and they have such fire and passion. You see they're making moves in the majors, and, and you just, it, it, the breakthrough's going to come when Americans are going to, you know, going to have to retire sometime, and they're going to start winning majors, and, and this is a chance to see them up close, and I'm, I'm so excited for this tournament. and I think it's going to be great. Talk about some of the other events that you have at the event. So you come to the site, you don't have to just watch tennis all the time, there is other things
2: there to do. Correct. So the Hardcore Fan comes to the event, and we love them. Now, we've expanded the event in the last 8, nine, ten years. It's really a place to be. Grab a cocktail, we have four bars on-site, on-site restaurant, PIP Clubhouse Lounge, where you have the buy one, get one free drinks. But our special events have really taken off where we have two ladies' luncheons. They sell it every year, about 150-plus ladies, sponsored by Lily Pulitzer. We do player meet and greets there. It's complimentary wine. I mean, they just they just have a blast. It's great. And then we have a Game Set Pour event, which my brother's taken over, these Tasted events, where that's on the second Friday night. And that's already sold out. We have 350 people. Done. We have about a dozen restaurants that locally provide food, beverages, and the majority really are non-tennis uh, enthusiasts. That's why it's just so neat to have them come on site, and when they're done with the party, they go watch tennis because they're not used to it. Another party which is brand new called Tacos, Tequila, and Tennis, which is we've we're already about 200 people sold. Brand new event, local eateries as well coming on site. That's sponsored by Danos Tequila. It's you know who doesn't love a taco, right? Like <laughs> it, it just I, I mean. I wish I could go to these as a spectator. Uh, unfortunately, we're running them. But it's one of those where we have a huge hospitality pavilion on site and just the, the drinks are flowing. People are happy, which is all we want. And then we have tennis, too, which even though that's who we are, it's also kind of in a way sometimes secondary because people just like to come to the site and, and hang out and, uh, and enjoy. Fantastic, fantastic! So,
1: I even tell people how to get tickets and, uh, and, and and come down to see this great tournament, which I which I've liked. I found that I we, we've had on our show uh, Francois T.F.O. after he won the tournament. We had Hubert Hurkacz after he won the tournament. So, uh, hopefully, whoever wins this tournament, will get him on in the following week uh, to talk again about the great tournament.
2: Oh, that'd be great. Well, a couple things. It's yellowtennisball.com. I can go to our website yellowtennisball.com. Tickets, parties, special promotions. I'd I, be remiss if I didn't mention we have senior days. We do. We have thousands that come on Wednesday, midweek. We also have senior days for the Legends event, which is opening weekend, which I didn't mention. We love the Bryan brothers, the best doubles team of all time. Jensen brothers, you know, they're just flamboyant uh, characters on court. Jane Michael Gamble won our event in the past, Sam Query who won our event. So we have a lot of past champions even playing opening weekend for the Legends Friday through Sunday. Um, we have Kids Day. USD Florida is hosting a Kids Day. We're sold out of that event as well with 100 kids. So a lot just, you know, I, I am so passionate, which you used that word before, but it really is. We're passionate about what we do, and we have something for everyone.
1: Well, Ivan, thanks a lot for coming on iRound Sports. I really appreciate it.
2: You're amazing. Thank
1: you
0: so much. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, we've been witnessing greatness here in South Florida all season long. The FAU Owls men's basketball team is phenomenal. 24-2 and right now, ranked number 20 in the country. They've never been ranked in FAU history. And we've been sending you to games all season long thanks to the Robes Law Group. And, of course, through you, you can get tickets to the last game of the season that we're going to have. It's coming up on the 16th before they head off uh, to the NCAA Tournament go ahead to our website, trueoldiesfla.com, and register. We'll be doing this all season long, courtesy of Ira on Sports and the Robes Law Group, where winning is a habit. 561-570-5700. Ira, what are you up to this week?
1: Well, when Tiger Woods announces he's playing at the Genesis, which I've been to about eight times, uh, in the Riviera. I'll be there Thursday for, for to see Tiger for the first time. And it's literally all... It feels like it's been a year since he's played. I remember I saw the C Classic, um, so I can't wait to see Tiger on Thursday and Friday. i will come back for Delray, and then, of course, the following, we get the Honda Classic. Look, everyone thinks sports is done. We got – and March Madness is only weeks away from starting with NC Basel the NBA season is running around, and then we have the players and all the golf and, and spring training down in South Florida. We, can we talk more about spring training in terms of the fact that we got four teams, two phenomenal teams, you know, down here in South Florida, they're going to in the spring training, or so five teams with the Mets. I'm sorry, I forgot the Mets there for a second. And we're going to play the Doc Gooden interview in a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm so pumped for sports. I, I know football, I'm sad it's over, but there's – you know, the fact that we love and cover. For so many different sports. That's what I'm excited about coming into the into the spring and the summer.
0: We are out of time on behalf of Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.